HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. No, we record it. You're right. Yep, you're right. And then you can flip that around or something. If it. Oh, no. It's... Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Good to go. We're doing terrific. We're trying to do terrific. Sleepy this morning. Yeah. No coffee in the house. Ugh. How'd and that happen? So, uh, you know what, man? Three kids. Yeah. Stuff gets crazy on the weekends. Yeah. Realize, hey, we're making the last pot of coffee we own. As you're doing it. Yeah. And then don't go buy more coffee. And then Ouch. you remember Monday morning. So. Well, if you had some uh, wilding coffee, I'm about to just laying around in the, the house office or I'm about at to. the office. I'm about to, for my friend. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sleepy today. I'm moving a little slow, but is we had a busy busy Friday. Yeah, man. Got down to Knoxville for the Bassmaster Classic. Braden's first first experience of like a big tournament like that. Yeah, yeah. I uh. My only other experience was was doing the club uh, co-angling with Stephen Taylor, which involves a small pop-up tent and a uh, plastic <laughs> fold-out table for the weigh-in, which I thought, this is awesome. Everybody's bringing up their fish. Like, this is, you know, a lot of fun, obviously. But uh, And then everyone just, like, takes their own bag and runs it down to the river <laughs> or the lake and dumps it in. And that kind of became my job. Stephen was like, you're the young guy. Whenever these old guys come bring their fish up, you take them and take them down to the lake. So boy. that was my other experience. And so walking into this giant coliseum on UT's uh, University of Tennessee's uh, campus was freaking nuts. I had no idea what to expect. And it was like a concert with – all of my best friends like it was so much fun all two of them all two of them <laughs> <laughs> no it was like i mean there were thousands of people in there yeah. like i mean yeah they, they had they set the record for all-time record for um most people at a at a launch blast off blast off so 6500 people on a friday morning which if you see this area too i don't know where those people went they must have been on top of the buildings and they stuff must have been parking all over the place i don't know how they did it but yeah and then there was about that same amount at the first win on friday and for those that don't know it's a three-day tournament mm-hmm. um and the big days uh when they cut it down to 25 is sunday um which got to watch yesterday old uh old gussie pulled it out catching a bunch of smallmouth yeah um but yeah it was awesome man got to walk around see a bunch of vendors bought uh the the new yamamoto yamatanuki i think is what it's called I, you could ask me i could have given five guesses and not gotten that, yeah so. yeah <laughs> i started watching youtube videos on it which is why i kind of have a rough idea of how to say it but this thing looks like a bowling pin it looks like a bowling pin just a giant soft pla- or not like giant like thick soft plastic um with like a super twitchy tail um that's super popular in japan for years like it's so popular over there that there are 
companies that have spun it off at Yamamoto uh-huh. that make the same thing. Um, so they finally, apparently they've got this new ownership at Yamamoto and they've been rolling out a bunch of new products. And so the only place you could buy them in the country was at this little corner, uh, in the expo at the Bassmaster Classic. So me and Jacob were like, Hmm, <laughs> went in there and bought a bag or two. So they were not on sale. If you're curious, they were not, they were not on sale. No, no. Yeah. Well, that was a super cool experience. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. And it, if you haven't been to a Classic or Red Crest or one of these big tournaments like that, I definitely recommend checking out if they come close. You know, it's yeah. all, all the fishing brands are there for the most part. Yeah. Um, boat companies are there with their latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. You get to see a lot of the stuff that the Pro Tour guys are using on the tour before yeah. it's, like, out and available mm-hmm. for the public, uh, like that, that Yamamoto bait. Um, and just the buzz, man, like – this is a Bassmaster, you know, a bass event. But yeah. then you got all the MLF guys that yeah. are roaming around. Everybody's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. They're all there supporting their, like, uh, sponsors' booths and stuff. So when you go in there, they're hanging out. And so it's yep. like a cool opportunity to go ask them, you know, questions about their experience with stuff and all that. It was You got to see the godfather. I did. At, at Tennessee University, I saw Bill Dance <laughs> and got a <laughs> selfie with him. Nice. That boy's old now. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, old. Sure. He's, He's not just, like he he's old old. but he was there with a line around the whole freaking place waiting to see him i just walked up to the front (laughs) just grabbed a selfie (laughs) it's like i'm not waiting hours for this but i got a i got a bill dance story okay let's hear it so so my dad went my dad when we were younger uh we live here in iowa and we would drive up to the twin cities and go to minnesota twins baseball game yeah and so rapella i think it was they had a at the fishing or at the at the uh, stadium there, they had a kids tackle box day, and so if you showed up as a kid, you would get a tackle box, and then oh, cool. um, so me and my brother got a, a tackle box, and during the seventh inning stretch, Bill Dance and um, Kent Herbeck, I think his name is, uh, he was the first baseman for the Minnesota Twins for so uh, for several years. I think that's I think that's his name, Kent Herbeck. Or something like that. Uh, they had a fishing competition where they would stand like forty or fifty feet away, and they would toss a jig into this little circle. Basically, it looked like a, almost a, a really big uh, dog food bowl. And that okay. Kent Kent Herbeck he beat uh, he beat Bill Dance in that competition. <laughs> so it was I, so that's, that's the most Bill Dance thing ever. I know. I know. <laughs> It's and like so the, they they had that they had that little competition and it's I don't know it's something that I'll always always remember. Yeah, you know Bill Dance obviously has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he transcends eras. My kids like watching his old old footage and yeah. of course his blooper yeah. reels have been a uh, classic. All, yeah, you know? <laughs> and you know like I think if I was that guy, I'd be like. Yeah, I had so many RBIs and home runs, but there's that one time I beat Bill Dance yeah. at a flipping competition. Yeah, right. I'm not going to forget that. Right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was fun, man. I enjoyed that. Every time I've gone to something like that, big fishing event, it's it just fuels my fire. You know, I'm sitting mm-hmm. there in the crowd with Braden like, dude, I could do this. <laughs> could fish the rocks, yeah. man. Yeah. Go fish the rocks. Well, let me ask you a target. question about that that event. So I can remember watching those events when I was a kid on TV. They would have them, um, and it was crazy. Like, these guys would pull into a, a stadium, like a, a 
a pro athlete, you know, a, a mm-hmm. professional sports arena, pyrotechnics would be going off mm-hmm. and people yep. would be going crazy like yep. Michael Jordan entered the room, right? Yep. And, and these are these are just bass fishermen. Yeah. It is the same is it still the same vibe today? Yeah, it is. And what was really interesting, so they've started to incorporate more international um, anglers into the not incorporate yeah. them like they have earned their way there and right. so you know there's a, a japanese guy that was there there's an australian guy a couple canadians mm-hmm. and so those people are coming from international yeah. places to come watch these weigh-ins and stuff too so uh you know it was cool that um carl jacobson who's from australia there was a big group of guys that were there waving australian flags and yeah. you know it's it's big fan they they have their own walk-up music like yeah. a baseball player so when they come in the arena they've picked out their song and yeah yeah it's it's Everybody pretty cool it's going and the announcer on stage is like excellent yeah. i mean he like gets you fired up he's got a towel that he spins around and like whenever somebody walks in everyone in the crowd somehow got towels me and jacob didn't get them i don't <laughs> yeah. know what we oh, missed i Mysteries did figure out we were we were allowed to go sit in those chairs down on the floor oh man so we thought we got duped yeah. uh into getting some of these tickets we gave away our personal information and they were like you can get these special tickets we're like cool and we walked in and showed them to a lady and she was like yeah you can sit there and it was in like the second deck <laughs> we were like all right cool, cool. there's nobody there <laughs> we were like, i just got great s- my stuff we got totally it. duped <laughs> but no we could have sat on the floor that would have been sick yeah. um but yeah, no, it's super electric, man. They like it's a giant production. Um, they had a whole big thing this year about how they named the trophy after Ray Scott, who was the original founder of the BASS. What is it like, Bass Anglers Sportsman Society? Yes, that's right. Yeah, down in Alabama. So it was cool that they renamed or they named the trophy after him, and they had a whole big like storyline. So it's just like making the whole event feel like traditional and historical and special like it was just i don't know i thought it was cool to just be there and like see all those guys and then made me want to keep up with them like so saturday i ended up watching the way in and then yesterday i ended up watching um the way in where they had uh it came down to two guys i think it's brian schmidt and then jeffrey gustafson gustafson yeah yeah and so this brian schmidt guy comes up there's three dudes left they call it the super six they went they had three guys go and none of them had enough weight to be in contention to win so then it comes down to this guy brian schmidt who all of a sudden hauls off and he's got a bag big enough to potentially win the whole thing so they put him on what's called the hot seat and so they put him in a chair while everyone else after they weigh in they leave they put him on a chair on the stage and make him just sit there and watch everybody weigh in to potentially win a million dollars and he even said he was like I don't know, man. I think Gussie's got me on the small yeah. mouth. We're going to see. And then Gustafson was the last guy to weigh in. And turned out he won by he, – he had two fish of his five-bag limit, mm-hmm. but it weighed – I think it was like six-something pounds. So he had two just monsters, <laughs> small yeah, yeah. mouth, and he ended up pulling it out. Um, That's what he was catching all weekend, man. Yeah. He, it was like some guys will do that. They'll, they'll lock into, you know, this is how yeah. I'm fishing this. I'm not changing. I'm yeah. fishing these exact – scenarios and yeah. cover and all that stuff and he did that man he's a he, i think he does really well with smallmouth in general yeah. and then he just locked into what he knew well that's really what, simple fishing too yeah and that's what like everybody was saying is like he's the best smallmouth fisherman in the world and 
he was literally telling everyone, I'm using this bait, I'm fishing this depth, I'm in this area, like, this is what I'm doing. Yep. And they all commented on, like, you know a guy is really proficient in a specific type of fishing and talented at a certain thing. Like, if he can tell everyone, hey, this is exactly what I'm doing, I'm going to do it today, tomorrow, and the day after, and yep. I'm either going to win or lose doing it. Yep. And then comes in with two giant limits on Friday and Saturday and, like, Nobody switched to it on Sunday. They're like, we're going to have to beat him at the largemouth because we cannot beat him at smallmouth. Yeah. Like it was- yeah, it was fun, too, because they had this year on the feed, especially on um, Bassmaster.com, you could watch their their live scope or you know yeah. their front-facing mm-hmm. sonar as they're dropping their bait down. And he had some huge – I mean, based on what I was seeing on there, some yeah. huge fish that he was targeting. Mm-hmm. And he would get bites – and then move on to another spot. I'm like, dude, I'd be there for <laughs> yeah. four hours. Jake trying was to get <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you for being able to move on, but I would have stayed there forever. Yeah. Yeah. Did and they have some like the- a, did they have like a leaderboard? I mean, obviously uh-huh. people can't be out on the water watching. Them. Oh, they oh, are. They I mean, can. <laughs> oh, they can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's crazy. So, do they at at the event or wherever? I mean, do they have a leaderboard like an up to date minute to minute leaderboard where you know a guy catches a fish? There's a big announcement made, the crowd goes crazy, and then you know it settles down again. Or how's that work? Yeah, so the the expo is in a different area from the weigh in, um, and around the expo, this is expo is where all the brands are and stuff. So there's yeah. TVs here and there, and then the main commentators have an area set up where they're you know they're talking throughout the whole just like a an in-game commentator and so they're talking the whole time about what people are catching i don't know that the the anglers themselves out on the water probably have some sort of sense of how people are doing but i don't think they see the leaderboard and know exactly how many pounds everybody else has and even one point at one point when i was watching it one of the guys was saying he had a different weight in his boat than what the commentators were kind of adding up and so that way in at the end of the day is like that's the true account yeah um of of what comes in uh and as far as people being out there watching yeah there's a lot of boats that will follow these guys around out on the water especially come sunday where there's kind of a a couple three guys that are really in contention for it and so they will have crowds of boats that follow them and it was brought up yesterday when i was watching it with um who was it i think it was brandon polinuk and somebody else where they were asking the the announcer was asking like hey do you think this affects the fish because if those people come up with if there's 10 or 12 boats around you and you're fishing if they have their sonar and their electronics on it's pinging and that can be heard by the fish you know underwater and so it has to have some sort of effect trolling motors running engines Mm -hmm. coming up uh and these guys will still catch fish amongst all that but if i was them, i'd be like give me 200 yards get out of here but plus it's public Plus all yep. that's all that water's public. So yep. literally another fisherman could be like, Oh, you're in a tournament. I don't give a, you know, like I don't care. I'm fishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They actually showed somebody yesterday fishing around docks and I mean, you know, perspective is kind of hard to tell on the camera, but if I had to guess uh, in front of him, 200 yards was just a dude on the front of his boat fishing the, the bank. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's not a closed venue at all. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine missing a fish we were talking about that like with a million dollars on the line there was one guy telling a story uh on stage where he he brought his limit up and he had like he didn't he caught two big fish and then like three smaller ones 
and he was like, man, I had a four pound come up and eat the blade on my spinner bait and then like in a dock and then went to the next bay in the dock and had a three pounder come out and eat the blade on my spinner bait. And that he would have won. So like that's, that have been, you know, like a six or seven pound difference and he'd have won the tournament. So million dollars on the line. I get, I know I sometimes try to set the hook and I'm like, like I cannot imagine (laughs) being on that boat, like on the last day in the Bassmaster classic and a fish comes up and eats your blade and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> like it yeah. would be just wa- watching watching a million dollars swim million. away yeah, <laughs> yeah. literally did literally yeah. watched a million dollars swim away so yeah. so obviously cool. you can tell by as excited as Braden and i have been talking about this highly recommend checking it out yeah uh if it comes close go see it um you know and it just i even took my son a couple years ago in birmingham and like he he keeps asking he wanted to go yesterday he was like can we just go down sunday i'm like buddy yeah. i know it's close but we can't do it so yeah yeah it's it's great the whole family will dig it yep it's gonna be something i try to make a annual tradition if possible i mean it and i wish i'd have thought ahead i'd have made a few days of it and tennessee was playing texas a&m um, oh, baseball. In baseball so i could have caught that three-game series i could have gone to the launch gone to baseball and then gone to the weigh-in <laughs> for three days that's like my dream scenario <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be trying to do that in the future. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to some some other topics. I know there's a bunch of stuff happening in the world of hunting with regulations and changes being made and cameras being outlawed and yeah. crossbow stuff happening. So, Dan, I think you're probably the, the most well-versed on some of this stuff. Why don't you kick us off and let's, let's hear what's happening. Yeah, so really – the buzz lately in the hunting world you know the the seasons are over so you know all the talk on strategy and tactics and things like that has kind of died down but what seems to be popping up right now all over the country is the introduction of new rules and regulations into you know each state's um rules and regulations right so uh legislation comes in and says hey you know we want to pass this bill that will allow this to happen or we want to see more uh deer tags and things like that and so uh recently and and i'm going to speak from my uh my experience here and uh as an iowan uh and a lot of a lot of the things that have kind of been going on in iowa and other states and guys I've been talking to in other states since I've been talking about that have reached out to me and be like, Hey man, that's, that's same thing is happening in our state too. And it, it's just absurd. And so <clears throat> this, co- this conversation that I'm going to have today, really, I, I, you know, I don't want it to be pro crossbow or anti crossbow. I don't want it to be pro non-resident hunter or anti non-resident hunter. What I do want it to, um, be about is that we have people that are not in the uh let's just say the the dnr or the conservation space or the natural resource space who are introducing these laws or trying to make these decisions it's outside influences from you know it's legislation from politicians from uh lobbyists and and things like that and so a lot of people are their eyes are getting opened up to this right now. And a lot of people are having a problem with that, especially when it comes to, uh, and I'll just like, this is where I, I step in. 
there's a crossbow bill in Iowa that has recently been introduced. And so we have a company out of New York. Uh, they have hired lobbyists. These lobbyists, uh, and, and come to find out, I think it's it's not just in Iowa. It's over several states. And these lobbyists are trying to get crossbows introduced into the archery season. And so the the company goes, okay, we're going to hire a lobby, these lobbyists for the this amount of money um, because we feel that if if these laws pass, then we stand to make more money uh, ourselves because these rules and regulations pass. And so uh, for for here in Iowa, the the want and the need to use crossbows during the archery season, it's not coming from Iowa hunters. It's not coming from other hunters saying, hey, we want a crossbow season or we want more non-resident hunters or we want, you know, you know, fill in the blank. It's it's or, or and it's not the um, the Department of Natural Resources. It is lobbyists and politicians who are saying hey let's do let's do this let's introduce this and so i find it personally a bit ridiculous that yeah. we that these things are even being considered and we're treating these animals like commodities you know like cattle and you know and, and things that okay well we'll just farm them and and not a natural resource where in my opinion a natural resource needs to be very like managed very fine-tuned and yeah. so um, there's a lot of talk in, you know, across all states, especially whitetail states, uh, you know, the topic of having uh, a gun season during the rut. And, you know, a lot of people are upset that we don't, you know, like, for example, I've talked to several guys from a state like Michigan or Pennsylvania or New York, where their, their firearm season is right in the middle of the rut. And a lot of these guys, you know, and, and, a lot of the people that I talk to are bow hunters first, probably. So there's a little bit of a lean in that information of what I'm getting compared to the rest of the state. And so I just feel like, you know, like a conversations like that and who, who is making the laws, where these, these new laws are coming from. And that if, if you, if the hunters of that state don't like it, we don't have to accept it. We can reach out to our elected officials. We can reach out to the Department of Natural Resources and let them know, like, hey, you know, we don't, we don't want these things to happen in our state. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it's less about, like, what the rules and regulations coming down are and more about, like, who's introducing the them and paying attention to, like, yeah. who's throwing this out there. Like, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's a bad idea. But if it's about money and about all this stuff, like, that's a totally wrong motivation. That's, right. that's kind of surprising that they can sneak something through like that without like the blessing of, you know, like DNR. A DNR. Like how does, yeah. how does that not get factored in? Isn't that like their place in the States is to like manage that? That's what I thought. Right. Okay. And, and, and so, and so check this out. This is crazy. From my understanding, a politician will introduce a bill. Uh, maybe, you know, a lobbyist will get to a politician. They'll say, hey, we want this to go through. Uh, a, a bill comes to, to light. From my understanding, the DNR cannot express their concerns about a bill to the politicians and say this is bad. Yep. It's what? Are you kidding me? I mean, you're, you're correct, Brayden. I mean, yeah, that is the DNR's job or whatever your state calls that agency. I mean, that is yeah. their job. 
But unfortunately, what's going on is these politics, the politicians are starting to overstep, overstep might not even be the word, but they're basically taking the DNR out of the equation. They're just making decisions based off what they want and what they think right. is best. So right. that's where like Sportsman's Alliance and all that type of stuff is mm-hmm. so critical now is that Absolutely. they're basically filling the spot and that's of why, DNR. And it's also why it's critical for us as hunters, anglers, outdoorsmen to, to verse or to you know make our opinions known to our representatives and everything. Hmm. Yeah. And even we as hunters, should, like, I agree that hunters are on the landscape. We know, like, hey, man, I, I can tell you right now, the turkey population in Iowa is way lower than it was 10 years ago, right? Something's something's different there. And I, I, I can observe that. We, we go to the Department of Natural Resources and we say, hey, there's an issue. What's the issue? Uh, then the DNR... Uh, comes back and gives us information after tests and studies and, yeah. and, you know, accounts and all, all that stuff or, or same thing with deer hunting the harvest reports and, and right. data and science and things like that. And so I agree that hunters have their place in it as well, but we also should not be in charge of rules and regulations, yeah. right? That should be mm-hmm. up to, we should say, Hey, uh, we want to see this happen. We want to see this, you know, we would love to have a one buck or two bucks or, you know, more of a limit or a higher limit or even in, in fisheries. We were just talking about fish. Uh, we want we we want uh, the limit to go up or we want the limit to go down. And so it's the it's the job of the Department of Natural Resources to say, OK, if we do this, then this is the outcome cause and effect. Right. Yeah. Um, and then if the effect is a negative towards the natural resource, then we, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't even be introduced or it shouldn't even be talked about after that. Right. It's like, Hey, let's have uh, a three Turkey. uh, Let's introduce in Iowa. Right now you can have, uh, let's just say one Turkey tag. Right. Let's say a whole bunch of people to get together and say, we want two Turkey tags. Well, right now the population in Iowa is low. We shouldn't do that, right? So, you know, because, you know, people are greedy and, and, and whatnot. So my whole point of this is, is like, they're like, number one, I don't think politicians should have any say or lobbyists, in my opinion, should have any say in a state's set of rules and regulations. The hunters should voice their opinion. We should talk to in like have really good communication with the Department of Natural Resources let them do their studies, let them have the science, and then communicate together on how some of these rules and regulations uh, are are happening. Now, take that with a grain of salt because there's certain things that the Department of Natural Resources uh, can and can't do. Like they don't they don't determine land prices, right? They don't determine uh, like access, you know, and things like that. And, and so certain uh, rules and regulation changes, like if you introduce more non-resident tags into a state, then there's a chance that, you know, uh, non-resident land hunters or uh, non-resident landowners will come into a state. They will buy that land. They will displace residents. You know, things, some things like that may happen. And, and that can't be controlled necessarily by the Department of Natural Resources as far as... Uh, 
what happens after a rule and regulation is concerned, but you know, it, they all, it all, it all, in my opinion, has a really big impact on the natural resource itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately the, what it boils down to is regulations being set by profit margins as the motivator is a slippery slope because then we can continue to go down this path where, you know, who knows what pockets were greased to get this thing rolling. Oh yeah. And, and, and it just, it goes down a path that I don't think any of us want because we all, I'm speaking for all of us on this show for sure. We want what's best for the animals, for the fish, for the landscape. Mm-hmm. And yes. any decision that's not made with those things in mind, instantly non-starter. Like, yeah. That's where it has to start. Mm-hmm. And right. I mean, I, any, any time something starts with lobbyists doing something, um, it makes me really concerned of it being the tip of the iceberg and what's next, you know, yeah. it's like. Well, what was the deal with the trail cameras in Kansas you're talking about getting banned on public? Yeah. And Where'd so. Where did that come from? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of out of out of the blue, and usually there's rumblings of, of something that happened before, right? Like, hey, I I heard that Kansas is going to ban uh, trail cameras on public land. I heard I heard this, or I heard this law is going to pass in this state, and then uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But what these lobbyists and and I'm not I'm not going to use the the Kansas. Um, trail camera ban on public land as an example i'm just these people are really good at sneaking things in mm-hmm. and and then as hunters if we're not on top of it all the time some things can get passed yeah. and so this didn't come down to a vote uh, as far as hunters are concerned it came down to a vote um uh, i think by the department of natural resources and what you have here is the um, and I don't know if this is the case in Nebraska, but you have people who are non-hunters who are starting to be members of these boards and be part of the voting structure of how some of these rules and regulations are. And they don't care, right? They don't care if uh, a trail camera ban, you know, is a, tra- is, is a trail camera, our um, trail cameras on public land, good or bad? Well, the Department of Natural Resources should, you know, should say, here's what we found. We've done a study, this and that, this and that. And so I don't like, I don't know where it came from. You know, that's yeah. a long way of saying, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it happened and how it happened so fast, but there's a lot of people who are pissed off about this ban. And, and, and I've talked to people who hunt public in Kansas and they're like, this sucks. But then you have to remember that Kansas is the has the lowest percentage of public land in the entire United States. Nebraska or uh, Kansas is number one. Iowa is number two. So we wow. have the we have our two states have the lowest. And so of course the people who hunt public in those states are going to have a lower. Share of voice. I don't know a lower voice or a you know a lower percentage of people who actually hunt on them just because it's not available, and so it's not impacting a huge mass of people. Um, like if they just said, "Hey, trail cameras are banned all across the state on all property," 
then there would be giant uproars, right? And be like, what is going on? But because, and so, and, and this is where I've, I have seen things kind of, it's a stepping stone, right? Okay, first we're going to ban them on public. Now what? What's yeah. the next thing they're going to take away from us? Or what's the next thing that they're going to do? I'm all for certain laws to be passed if the science and if it's based off science and data, right? If they're saying, well, here's the deal. Trail cameras on public are killing, you know, killing deer. Well, okay, yeah, let's ban it. Or, or it's affecting their reproductive or it's causing them stress or whatever. The You know, that's all hype. Yeah. That's all made up. But yeah. um, it just seems like it seemed like it came out of nowhere. And I, I don't think it was based off any science or data. Jeez. And I, I'm, I'm not, just, oh, sorry, you can go. <laughs> if you're going to say something intelligent, go ahead. Because uh, I'm going to say something kind of <laughs> I don't know how intelligent smart it is. Alex, so. I was going to say that I don't know if this is the situation that's going on in Kansas, but I've... I've also seen, too, where they will pass something to make it appear as though they're trying to make an effort to fix something, but really they're not. And an example that I have seen here locally in Kentucky was last year there, and I don't honestly know where it ended up. I don't know how far it got or anything, but I know that there was a lot of people are saying we need to work on our turkey populations. It's turkey seasons. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about that, you know everyone's seeing turkey populations dropping everyone wants something to be done about it there was a push to make it to where well we're going to change it to where you can only harvest one bearded bird on public and so that kind of appears to the public eye like okay they're making a move they're trying to make an initiative to work on it well when you look at the numbers and saw how many birds were harvested on public land in kentucky and then if you dropped it down to just a one bag limit bird Someone did the math. I'm going to butcher the numbers, but they were like, okay, we're talking about a difference of 15 birds at the end of the season. Oh, wow. Like that does nothing. Right. And so like, I'm not saying that that's what's going on in Kansas with the trail cameras, but that is also something that does happen from time to time. Somebody will make a push, introduce a bill, do something that from on the outside, the perception is, oh, they're working on it. Right. But, yeah. But nothing's actually being done. Again, coming back to the fact of like motivation behind it and like actually, mm-hmm. there's not a hunter on, uh, there's a small percentage of hunters that like wouldn't care mm-hmm. if the numbers said, hey, this is going to help the turkey population. You're going to take less birds for five years, mm-hmm. but yeah. ultimately your son's going to get to hunt turkeys, yeah, you know, successfully absolutely. where you grew up. Like mm-hmm. we're all like, okay, cool. And I think that's the weird thing of the outside perception looking at hunters is like, they just want to kill stuff and all this stuff. It's like, no, no, we're the ones paying attention to this stuff, trying to make sure to preserve yeah. it and keep it going. So yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's frustrating that we aren't to some effect, um, factored into the equation. And then most importantly, like DNR and studies and stuff like that aren't, aren't getting factored. I, I always thought the surveys that we took like played a large role. I mean, it gives, it gives, you know, Kentucky fish and wildlife tons of information that they want when we complete these surveys. And I, any, I get surveys for, you know, hunting. I get surveys from trapping season every year, and I fill everything out because I'm trying to be as helpful as I can to them to give yep. them the information they need to come up with, you know, the conclusions that they come to. But ultimately, if if the state doesn't allow them to do anything with it. Yeah. What do we know? We're just wasting time. <laughs> but yeah. I'm still, yeah, I still do your part, though, I guess. Yeah, is, definitely. Know. Do as much as we can, mm-hmm. but it's kind of frustrating and like disheartening that it's not getting factored into this stuff so mm-hmm. yeah. like i guess it's do we need to do a better job of going up a level and talking to like officials and stuff like that like are you just calling and emailing like what do you do well but that's the so that's where i have a question it's like 
my gut is to talk to a DNR representative about this stuff because I feel like it's their purview. But if you go up to an elected official, how much impact are they going to – it almost like they're going to be relinquishing some control. Like why would they then go to DNR and say like, hey, you guys need to control this? Yeah, take this, this over so for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I personally don't know who that person is that I would contact to feel like it's going to go somewhere to yeah. help – improve the, the impact that DNR has in these kind of decisions. So here, here's what I will say. I will say that the DNR I, in the state of Iowa does an amazing job at uh, collecting the data, at passing it on to the right people and, and, and getting everybody properly informed. Now, where do the introduction of the bills come from? They come from politicians who votes on the bills, politicians, right? And so whether or not the politicians take into consideration anything that the DNR says, you know, that's, that's to each their own. But here's what I will tell you. And this is the silver lining to the, the bitching that I've done here today. And that is that. So I recently, um, when all these things that I felt were going to hurt Iowa, um, have been, were introduced, you know, er, earlier in March, I started working with a company or a organization called the Iowa bow hunters association. And so we got thousands of people, you know, they have a, they have a system set up just like the, uh, uh, the sportsman's Alliance does mm -hmm. to where you enter your name, you enter your email address. Um, they already have an email prepared for you. And really all you have to do is hit submit and it sends what you don't like or you know what you oppose or what you support to go to the officials the elected officials who actually vote on those matters and so um, I will say this there are politicians on Hunter's sides and all we have to do is let them know that we like we support or we do not support a certain bill and then they'll stand up and they'll fight for us and and especially when you become organized like like we did through the Iowa Bow Hunters Association and through um you know uh, other org orgs like Sportsman's Alliance you get a concentration of people and then if a politician goes hey man i just got a thousand emails from people this week about opposing a certain amount you know a certain rule they're going to they would they would it would be bad for them to vote again, vote for that um, yeah. because only 10% really probably people who support or who oppose that law are going to contact you. Right. And so the more, the more people who we get involved, the more people that we, um, we, we get in communication with these elected officials, the more they have a feel for who they're, uh, you know, who they're, uh, I don't know, they're, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're, demographic or the people that constituents yeah, constituents yes <laughs> and so and so are in their in their area because they a politician's job is to get reelected, right that and so <laughs> unfortunately they, yeah. yeah unfortunately yeah right so they don't want to pass any laws that are going to get them out of a job yeah right and so that's why it's important to find an organization or just voice your opinion as much as possible about everything. And, uh, the Iowa bow hunters association not only, um, does that, but they made it really simple to all you really had to do is hit one button. It took 30 seconds. And I felt like I voiced my opinion to not just any politician, but the people who are 
in these um, these committees and, and things like that. And so uh, some of those some of those bills ended up getting knocked down. Yeah. And and they're not up for debate anymore. They're not up for vote anymore because there was enough of us who rallied together. Now, the thing about it is these same companies, these same lobbyists, these same politicians are going to try to do it again yeah. the next cycle. Yeah. And they'll do it again the next cycle. And they'll try to be more sneaky about it. Yep. And yeah. they'll do it at a time when they feel like we're not paying attention. Yeah. But somebody's always paying attention. And it's that person who really... You know, it's the the people within those organizations that really do need the pat on the back. Yeah, you're right. And that's something that's cool about I've, I've seen this in Go Wild happen many times where like there's all these bills like going around where people are like, hey, sign here, like do this thing, especially if yeah. you live in this area. Like take that stuff seriously. Don't be afraid to spend a little time like figuring out what's coming down the pike and then share it to like whatever community right. you have. Like we love that stuff. Like anything supporting hunters, anglers, outdoor enthusiasts to any degree, like that stuff is more than welcome on go wild. We try to, we've done stuff in the past to like include in emails and push it. And, you know, I obviously we're, we're playing a small part in the large amount of, you know, signatures and stuff that come through, but like we'll do the best we can to support that. If you all can just, we'll do our part to bring up stuff in our States, but y'all do the same and share it with the community. And then, you know, part of that organized bit, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. So um, don't be afraid to share that stuff. And if you see somebody encourage them, put a bow on what I'm saying there. Like we encourage that stuff, share it and go wild and support people that are sharing it as well, because they did some work on your behalf to find out it's going down. And now that you're aware of it, get on board, support and share it. Yeah, okay. and I, I think we're we're kind of talking some of the, like dirty opinions on lobbyists. Sportsmen's Alliance—that's what they do, mm-hmm. and so it's right. not all lobbyists. No. Like, no, get the ones that are focused. Only the on ones what that we like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get get associated with and find the ones that are out there fighting for for the stuff that you love. And I mean, right. we've said their name multiple times. I definitely recommend checking out Sportsman's Alliance. Yep. The, and I have said before, like. I don't get into the litigious stuff. They're out there fighting it. They understand these bills. They read this stuff. They know what's trying to be snuck yeah. through. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with that. So, like, offload right. that. Let them go fight that battle for us. Right. And I want to say one more thing, and then we could we should probably wrap it up here, is <clears throat> if there's a style of hunting that you don't do, and you don't think it impacts you, let's say, for example, uh, if there's a waterfowl bill, I don't waterfowl hunt. I'm a deer hunter or whatever, and, and there's a, a waterfowl bill that may affect or take away rights of, of waterfowl hunters. Just because it doesn't impact me doesn't mean I shouldn't care about it. And, and as hunters, we often separate ourselves into groups when really we are all under one umbrella of sportsmen. Yeah. And so we should... Just like, you know, whenever there's a a deer hunting rule and regulation and I contact my elected official, I should be doing the same thing with all turkey hunting, coon hunting, trapping, fishing, things like that, that would impact, you know, my, my fellow, you know, my brothers in in outdoors. Uh, We should be taking care of that responsibility uh, as well, because all they're trying to do is, is chop down a big giant tree. And they do that one swing at a time by passing these laws. Yep, yep. and, and they always it. start. It seems like they always start with predator hunting and trapping, yeah. and that's kind of like yep, dogs, and hounds, houndsmen, yeah. stuff yeah, like that. And if you yep. pay attention to what's going on in those spaces, you can see what's going to be a trickle down effect. That is, yeah. you know, if you're, 
I'm just if you're a person that's just a you know rifle hunter and I go out for a couple weeks once a year and take a deer and that's great but you think well I don't care what they're doing about trapping rules and regulations you need to yeah yeah Yeah. more raccoons means less turkeys you know what I mean like whatever but that one thing about what you were saying there Dan like a scary story old as time is if you want to control a large group of people divide them into smaller groups mm, like that, that's fact and if we let that happen to to us or you know and this applies to other things but like that's what's going on and then you know trying to pit each pit ourselves against each other you know that's why the hate and all the groups and all the stuff against each other ultimately is just we're working against ourselves and as much as we can unify and try to protect what we love you know the the more it's going to be around for a long time and and be something that you know we can pass down generation to generation so, yeah and i think across the state borders conversation is like if you're seeing it happen in another state and you're not speaking up just be prepared to that state be in reference when they come for your state like absolutely it's it it doesn't stop at a borderline yep all right all right boys well the conversation kind of got me excited in the beginning now i'm a little fired (laughs) up it's been an emotional (laughs) roller coaster this morning (laughs) time to riot All right, well, make sure you all log this show and go wild. Get your points, get your rewards. Uh, if you haven't done that yet, get out and give us a review on the podcast. Uh, platform of your choosing. Platform. I always yes. want to call it something else. Platform of your choice. So check us out. We'll see you next week. Thanks, y'all. See you. <laughs>